Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by fellow anomalous researcher and host of Lupine Transmissions, Tom G. Wolf. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Rob, thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here as a longtime fan since uh, since the old days, and now now with the relaunch, it's been very exciting to to. Well, it's exciting to be here. You know, I've been an admirer of yours for quite some time now. Yeah, man, we've uh, we've been talking on Instagram for a couple years now, and uh, you're kind of a you're you're a font of knowledge when it comes to a lot of cases especially you know being from australia you know a lot of australian cases and uh you, you definitely put this one onto my radar which uh is the abductions and experiences of of kelly cahill as she's uh called in australia which is uh, like for anybody in america it's going to be weird because Anybody who sees the spelling of her last name, it, it's pronounced Cahill over here. But, you know, it, it's just kind of like saying Carl without the uh, the hard R. So, you yeah, know, you, you got to imagine that Australian accent, like Kelly Carl, you know. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So uh, it, I know it's early for you. It's eight o'clock in the morning over there. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate you taking the time so early in the morning to come on the podcast because, like, sometimes those uh, those time zones can be tricky to navigate, man. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, it's no no problem, mate. I've been up since about uh, four thirty. Funnily enough, I'm a very early riser. So <laughs> when you were saying like, oh, when you were saying like, oh, can can we record at eight? Is that too early? I was thinking like, oh, we can we can even go earlier if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah yeah no no it's uh you know mo- most of my uh my uh guest appearances i guess in in my illustrious resume have kind of been on u.s podcasts so I'm more than used to it by now um yeah it's, but uh yeah it's 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 such a it's such a bizarre case isn't it you know i, I think you're you're gonna walk us through it aren't you if if i yep was reading the show notes correctly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the case, but like, give us an idea. What What is the UFO landscape like in Australia in 1994 when this case starts to become a little more prevalent? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, for, for reference, like I, I want to give, uh, you know, I'll definitely give my perspective, but I also want to give give the take that I was like eight or nine years old at the mm-hmm. time. So I wasn't, I can't pretend I was on the bleeding edge of research or anything like that. You know, Gosford Library, I only had so many books on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, th- I think like uh, th- it was definitely in the, in the, the public eye. You know, I, I don't think I can really kind of, overstate how big the x-files was you know if if you're someone who was say a little younger than like because i think you and i are roughly the same age rob like in in the same ballpark um you know we if if you're a little bit younger it might be hard to kind of get your head around just how big x-files was and on top of that you had a lot of other shows going on too you know you had unsolved mysteries which had been running since the late 80s um, over here, we had our own kind of paranormal show, which was called The Extraordinary. Um, I think it eventually got syndicated to the US, but, uh, but but I've never been able to track down clips of it or anything like that. And uh, I don't think it aired over here, but obviously in the States, you guys had sightings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
also it, there was just such a swathe of like published uh, you know it was it was common to see it in newspapers like you could go to mainstream bookstores and find books on this stuff like i remember buying like one of the one of the big supermarket chains over here is woolworths uh, i guess it's um you, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have your own grocery store equivalent over there, but it's, you know, like I remember buying books about UFOs and aliens and Woolworths, you know, like, or other paranormal <laughs> stuff. Like it, it was very present. With that said, I don't know how seriously it was taken. I think you had like a lot of people like myself who were eight or nine and maybe a little, uh, a little more credulous than I am now. <laughs> um, but conversely, you know, you, it, it was a topic that was, um, yeah, it was certainly out and about. And you had people on top of that, like, say, Bill Chalker, who's still a pretty prominent UFO researcher over here now, kind of appearing on chat shows and, you know, um, current affairs shows and things like that to highlight it. So I'd say it was definitely out there. And it might have even been accentuated in my household just because dad has kind of an interest in all this sort of fringe material too. And we, we still, to this day, you know, trade books and share stories and things like that. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a thing. It, it hadn't dropped off. It wasn't as now I would say it's kind of fringe and people are kind of baffled if you have an interest in it, but um, yeah, back then, you know, in the public eye for sure. Did the, the 2017 New York Times stuff, did that have any impact on on the way UFOs are perceived uh, in Australia at all? Well, I don't know. Like, you know, I think, you know, Australia, like I'm going to speak very broadly. I think a lot of Australians are very kind of cynical and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so they kind of like, you know, when we find out the, the Pentagon or someone's been doing something odd, we're kind of like, ah. Yeah, sounds about bloody right, you know. <laughs> kind of and I mean, we we still you you have to remember too, like in the we we have an American military base in Australia called Pine Gap, which uh, is is kind of like I think it's a pretty mundane military base to be honest, but because it's all classified and no one can talk about what goes on there, it's sort of become Australia's own Area Fifty One, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and and I th- but I think you know like. It's just not like definitely attracted attention and and you had your your Bill Chalkers and things like that writing about it, but I don't think it has penetrated the zeitgeist in the same way. And some of that is probably just because we don't have the, the, all the other supporting media around it, you know, like, um, sure. The X-Files had a revival. That was nice. Mixed, mixed bag, you know, but, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have it kind of blasted at us all the time with the exception of maybe something like ancient aliens, you know, which, which is sort of its own thing for a lot of people, you know, you, you have plenty of people who enjoy stuff like that, who have no real interest in like, you know, quote unquote UFO culture. Yeah. It's popular on television. It's kind of interesting to sit down and watch a dude who's got hair that's sticking up all over the place, tell you that, it's very possible that aliens visit us. <laughs> my, my my favorite part about the show is how he can't pronounce extraterrestrials properly. He always talks about ex, exoterrestrials. The exoterrestrials, uh, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, and and you kind of like, yeah, he's he's a character, Giorgio. You know. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. He is a character. He is like. Uh, this it, it's amazing how he's become this huge cultural symbol uh, in many ways, just 
partially because of the fact that he has a huge influence on that show. He's one of the, you know, main producers and stuff, uh, you know, behind it. And not only that, like a dude with epic hair like that, you can't not make him the face of your television show. Do you, do you think he do you think he believes it or do you think it's you know he sees it as this kind of wrestling style thing where it's all kind of a work but you know it's it's a pretty comfortable cash and gravy train for him so <laughs> you know like why why not keep it going you know like the <laughs> you know it depends on whether you you're grifting whether you think he's grifting or not because you kind of have to at least act like you buy into it in mm, order to keep mm. a show going for like 15 plus seasons and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But uh, I, I definitely think he's entrenched in it, you know, between him and David Childress and, mm, uh, you know, mm, occasionally you get Eric Von Donneken and, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a wild ride. And I think they're kind of getting to the point where they're running out of material. So they're getting into newer stuff and oh, I think, it's think kind of fun. Out of- ran out of material around about season three or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but yeah, so I guess that that's kind of like the, the UFO landscape sort of then versus now, you know, like certainly, you know, you get the odd news article when some file gets declassified or something like that, or, or, you know, when, when Tom DeLong kind of, um, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about Tom DeLonge's arc, but, you know, when he sort of quit the band and went to research UFOs, that obviously got a lot of press, but I would say it was um, mostly not complimentary. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. It, where, whereas 10 years ago, people might have said, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a bit quirky, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. So <laughs> That's just, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you definitely have that large sect of, you know, big Tom fans that believe in it. You also have that sect that of UFO believers that, that pile onto that. And then you have the people that watched his appearance on the uh, Joe Rogan experience and just like had a ball with it and laughed their ass off because like, it's just, you go on, you make, you make wild claims. You're going to get laughed at. That's just the way it is. If you're going to go on there and say, that you got a guy that you meet by the Pentagon for information. That's just it, it. How do you not laugh at that? How do you not laugh when, when you say uh, that, you know, guys with a degree in quantum, this and that, like, yeah, that's, that sounds perfectly, you know, normal. <laughs> oh, and it's, it's all, it all has huge, like, you know, oh, my, my friend's older brother, who's a huge stoner, like gave me this book by, um, you know, he gave me this, <laughs> gave me this book called <laughs> behold a pale horse or something. Oh like God. That. You know, yeah. like, it, yeah, it's got, it's got massive vibes of that, even though like, uh, I, I don't like, I, I have wondered if he's kind of in that sort of Paul Benowitz situation where he's like being taken advantage of, but you know, he's a useful public figure, but yeah, it's, it's very hard to know. Like I, I haven't met the man personally, so but I, right. I do hope he's okay. You know, is, is the, is the big takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so when it comes to the Kelly Kyle abduction, it's a mixed bag of abductions, dreams, symbology, controversy, multiple eyewitnesses, none of whom are named. And in many ways, it, it, it shares a lot of similarities with kind of a couple different 
uh, abduction cases. One being the Linda Napolitano Brooklyn Bridge abduction, in which it's just um, it's very sensational in the way that uh, it comes forward. You have witnesses that are not named, which are kind of key figures other than her husband um, at the time. But it also shares a lot of similarities to the Betty Andreessen uh, abduction in in the religious symbolism that kind of comes out uh, through Kelly's experiences. And her experience, uh, her main abduction occurs in 1993. But uh, before we get into that, we have to go to 1991 um, and like a lot of the information that uh, we pulled from, which uh, uh, Tom was nice to send over a, um, a link to a PDF of Kelly's book encounter, uh, which is uh, how hard is it to find over in Australia, Tom? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's look, it's hard to find now. Like it's been out of print. Like I think they only did one or two print runs that sold out and then that was it. And that was in, uh, you know, 1996, 1997, you know? So, like, you might find it at a local library or something like that, you know, in their reference collection. But honestly, you know, you um, at this stage, unfortunately, you are kind of better off pirating it. So, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want that PDF link, hit me up on Instagram later and I'll, I'm sure I can help you out, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. he, is, he is your uh, supply for, you know, fringe <laughs> occult books that you 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 have a difficult time finding anywhere yes. else. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1991, Kelly and her husband, Andrew, they lived in Lowler. Um, yeah, I totally Americanized that, uh, which is a Pro- suburb of Melbourne. Probably say like Laylor or something like that, but I, right. but I haven't. I haven't been there myself, so I couldn't say with certainty. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a suburb of Melbourne, and uh, she was about nine months pregnant uh, with her youngest child, James, at the time. She had just turned 24, and she was kind of bothered by this strange and vivid dream that she had. The dream began inside an hourglass made of flesh, which is about the most off-putting thing that you could ever read in in any book at any time is just hey here's my dream i was in an hourglass made of flesh the difference i felt reading this book at say um when i first read it when i was 13 or 14 versus reading it again the other night at you know like 36 so it was kind of like it, it was much more visceral at, at this age i have to say <laughs> and much more unsettling whereas back then it was like oh yeah it sounds about right you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she was pushed through into a chamber that was filled with liquid and there was a female voice that was saying humiliating things to her the dream was incredibly symbolic for her and it was like she was being born into another womb which is terrifying just absolutely terrifying oh sorry i was just gonna say they're not dissimilar to like if i it's been a while since i read about the case but with betty on andres and like she had something similar happen too yeah she that whole rebirth thing yeah yeah Yeah, exactly. She's being born into a new life, which is just in another womb, which is very, yeah, it's just very, very creepy. But uh, Kelly was bothered by this dream and discussed it with a friend one day. And in the middle of, of talking to her, they both heard what sounded like a helicopter. 
And in front of the house was a black helicopter and it hovered 10 to 15 meters or about 32 to 50 feet away at eye level. Kelly was alone at the time and she said that she could see two figures on the inside, which I don't think she was very descriptive about, but she could kind of make out that there were two figures there. And the helicopter remained there for about 15 minutes. And oddly, nobody came out to see uh, what was going on. You know, a helicopter at such close range, you're not going to tell me that people can't hear that. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, it'd be noisy as hell. (laughs) Um, A very odd occurrence. But two days later, on the morning of October 14th, she awoke on her stomach, which... Yeah, her sheets were wet, uh, her water had broken, and her nightgown was inside out, which is kind of one of those telltale signs of alien abduction. We have it early. We have it in 1991. Uh, She's also laying on her stomach, which is impossible. There's no way she could have got on her stomach, uh, you know, figuratively, if you're, you know, sleeping in bed pretty sure you're not going to roll over on a stomach that you know a pregnant belly which is you know it's it's I, just not going to happen yeah i haven't been pregnant myself but um you know like uh, i've certainly seen and, and and met uh pregnant women around that stage and like i just cannot imagine even trying like what would possess someone to to try <laughs> you know it sounds awful yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely she struggled through the, the way that she woke up, she couldn't remember going to bed. And James was born on October 15th with a collection of pea-sized nodules on each side of his neck. And Kelly had them too, though hers were very painful to touch them. They started on her arms, but pretty much spread throughout her entire body. Which, uh, yeah, the creep factor just kind of... Like, I will say this: this abduction, these abductions, are very just creepy from top to bottom. Just like beyond the routine, you know, normal alien abduction stories that 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 just seem kind of like rehashed over and over again. This one, the creep factor is up there. Oh, hugely. And uh, and I think it's sort of because they're, you know, when 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 you read a lot of these other cases of people who talk about having been abducted multiple times, like they often talk about like, oh, at a certain point, I just stopped remembering individual details because it happened so often and this, that and the other, um, you know, and it, it's kind of, you know, not all of them are explicitly traumatic or things like that, though some of them might be. And with hers, there's sort of, it, it's broken into very specific incidents. You know, I, I think it ends up being like uh, three or four, if memory serves. And yeah. they're all horrifying. In the, <laughs> you know, the, there's, it's not kind of like a thing where she sort of says, oh, you know, like, it's just one of these things that happens and I've made peace with that and it's weird and it's difficult, but that's my life. It's, you know, it kind of implies these these happen for a set period of time i haven't had it happen since and now i don't know what to make of it you know so yeah 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 she also started to experience these other health problems as well she was losing her hair she suffered from muscle aches and she would be diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome which is um according to abduction researchers with is kind of common among abductees uh, but uh, she also suffered from abdominal pain and 
Uh, it got so bad that it was recommended that she go to the hospital. And upon examination, they found her white cell count very high and they presumed that she had appendicitis. So they did emergency surgery. They removed her appendix. And though it was perfectly fine, they did note that her entire abdominal cavity appeared to be inflamed, which, yeah, that's a problem. That's um, something that, you know, according to the doctors, should be very painful. And you should have noticed that like days ahead of time. But uh, apparently, (laughs) yeah, not a great situation to be in. But a couple of years later, Kelly and Andrew moved away from the city for the quiet life in the country. And it was there that she became deeply interested in the Bible. And at one point, things got so intense that she she sequestered herself in a back bedroom where for six weeks she read, praised and sought God's presence. She only came out to use the bathroom, but hardly ate during those. Uh, so I, I wrote down six days. No, six weeks. So um, that is very, very strange. Like, I don't know yeah. how you like, how do you justify that? So, so I kind of like this, this is partly, I think why a part of the story grabbed me when I was younger, because I kind of grew up as part of a Baptist church. And now I should say like Baptist churches in Australia tend to be a little less uh, intense than maybe the Southern Baptist variety. Um, yeah you know like uh but but with, with that said i wouldn't say it wasn't conservative or anything like that and certainly um you know having like later in life been at different times involved in you know like more evangelical groups and things like that uh though they're not these days um you know th- this sort of behavior is not like it, it's very normal very unusual to people who are not in, in those circles but it's it's actually pretty normal <laughs> in those yeah. circles you know so uh, i i've seen it a lot i've seen people like convert and then particularly younger people and kelly we have to remember was probably only like mid-20s when this happened um you know i've seen a lot of people in their kind of like late teens to early 20s kind of convert and they they have all this newfound zest for life and zeal and they hear about say fasting or something like that and then they go all in and you kind of like you know you can and and eventually most of them moderate after about a year or two um some of them don't and go on to become like youth pastors and that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> um you know so it, it it really does cover a spectrum so i wouldn't say the the behavior is inconsistent with kind of where she describes herself at being in her life there Mm. are odd aspects to it though from the standpoint that you know it's hard not to wonder if it's some kind of like manifestation of postnatal depression or something like that you know or or if that had maybe inspired the conversion in and of itself You, you know it's it's hard to say because she doesn't spell a lot of this out some of this is me inferring from reading her book as an adult and also like having been involved in sort of some of these communities at different points in my life as well. Yeah. She, she would scroll endlessly these notes in multiple Bibles, just a bunch of them. And uh, except for one that she just kind of kept clean, there was like no imperfections in this thing. And midway, through on her third week she expressed her desire for god to be in the room with her and shortly after she felt the presence 
A surge of energy sent her heart pounding in her chest. She couldn't move or speak, and it was like she was receiving lots of data at, at one time. That's the way that she describes it. And, and that's not unlike uh, a lot of UFO experiences in which the uh, experiencers often um, talk about having this like massive download in their head and even some you know, just regular UFO witnesses, it seems to be kind of a, a thing. Uh, I recently talked about a case with uh, John Tenney from Argentina in which uh, somebody described a situation very similar in which uh, they felt like they were getting this kind of download of information in their head and uh, they could recall, you know, getting certain bits and pieces of it, uh, you know, just hear, you know, words here and there. But um, it's definitely something that's common. And when she finally left the room, her husband told her that he had seen lights in the sky from horizon to horizon. So uh, kind of seen as some confirmation here. And it was after completing her Bible study that Kelly and Andrew went to a friend's house, uh, her name was Eva, to celebrate her daughter's 18th birthday. Um, and that's interesting because uh, in that recording with John Tenney, he said that 18 was kind of a um, a signaling number or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that that is popping up here. Okay, so yeah, we have that going on. I think also, too, like even outside of the sort of UFO experience, you can point to it as being a more even kind of general, um, you know, mystical experience thing to some degree. Like the the, the use of like describing it as like a data download is is more kind of like a, in, in the realm of that UFO experience. Um, you know, but a, 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 you could even see it tying back to people like, say, Carl Jung, who talked about like, you know, having these kind of manic episodes where he felt people were talking to him or he was having a confrontation with his unconscious and that sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, cert certainly as a kid, uh, when, when I first read this, like my immediate thought was, oh, this, this is like, you know, um, when it, it reminded me of like, it's, you would know in abduction narratives, it's not that unusual to have, a, you know, a big kind of moment where, people recall their memories or something like that. And it seemed to me to have that kind of resonance, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they drove out to their residence near the Dandenong mountain range, uh, going through fountain gate, Belgrave, Monbalk. The drive was long. It was about two hours to get out there and, um, all was silent in the car. They never talked. They didn't have the radio on. And through the passenger window, Kelly noticed a paddock leading to some low hills and a set of orange lights there. And, and they they were made by something that was clearly sitting on the ground. So whatever it was, it was surrounded by this kind of fluorescent mist. And when she concentrated long enough, she could make out a distinct circular shape. And it was kind of this just circular object that was rimmed with lights. And it was uh, just a few seconds uh, that she saw it and it uh, disappeared. And then Kelly took this as a sign from God. She made a mental note that she would be back this way in a few hours and mentally asked the object not to go away. So 
That's interesting. I dig that. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, an experiment. So uh, this is what I want to encourage listeners to do. The next time you see some strange UFO in the sky, just start like sending it mental messages and see what happens. Well, or maybe don't just based on like how, <laughs> how the, the rest of this sort of case goes, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> That's I mean, fair. You know, yeah, we listen on and make your own call, guys. <laughs> <laughs> At least just say hi or like, don't take me. I'm good here. Like, uh, you know, just just let them know that you see them and that you're not down for whatever shenanigans that might uh, incur by, uh, you know, talking to them. But when she told Andrew what she had seen, he only mocked her and Mark mocked her harder in front of like party guests so like like andrew seemed like the, the through line from her through her book that I, that i get is like andrew just seems kind of like a bad dude <laughs> yeah it's it's really it's really complex because obviously you know like a- andrew you know because andrew's a pseudonym as well too like a- andrew's yep. not here to uh speak for himself of course <laughs> you right know? but the uh but the through line does seem to be like and i definitely didn't pick up on this as a teenager but now like being older being married myself you know and having had some of those kind of um, ups and downs that you experience of any sort of long-term relationship like now like so much of it i just see through the lens of like oh wow she was in like she kind of talks about oh you know we had a good life and this that and the other and then you're like this marriage is like wildly dysfunctional and unhealthy yeah and you know you you guys got married too young you had like opposing kind of ways of looking at the world like uh because because kelly was from a pretty staunchly christian background i think she converted as a teen or an adult and then um yeah andrew was from a muslim background and they they sort of talk about trying to uh kind of have an interfaith marriage but it, it seems and, and obviously people do do have them all the time and are, are fine with it but they seem to have had serious challenges since day dot you know you almost wonder why they they got married after reading the book mm. to be honest you know <laughs> so, yeah. yeah yeah because it's like the the ridicule is is just kind of constant in here she, she talks about uh over and over again how he kind of makes fun of her and like you, you kind of get the sense that he also doesn't want to acknowledge that these are these could be ufos that uh he doesn't want to enter that kind of reality which hey, i understand you know that is that is what it is yeah that that part i could understand from the from the sort of viewpoint that like if you engage with that material it, you know the idea of it being assigned that perhaps you might be mentally ill or perhaps it's just sort of totally outside of your worldview or you know like it's you know i i understand that compartmentalization part of it sort of doesn't mean he had to be such a jerk about it i guess <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly Mm. so they left the party at around 11 30 p.m on a moonless night near the spot where she had seen the object earlier kelly saw a light hanging above the road she first thought it to be a blimp but it was the same orange lights that she saw before also kind of a wild time uh for a blimp to be uh you know kind of in the middle of nowhere doing nothing like what's the blimp situation in australia i gotta know 
Uh, I, I couldn't give you a like 1993 update, but uh, you know they, they they do pop up, you know, at sports events and things like that. You know, they're they're not a non-entity or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't say people are kind of like like they're they're uncommon enough that I'd probably still get excited if I saw one now. You know, like it's it's not sort of like the Goodyear blimp where it's it's kind of always going, and you know, if you're in the right part of the country, you might see it or that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I can totally understand. I'd probably I'd probably get excited to see a blimp up here because it's the middle of nowhere, small town <laughs> USA. So yeah, I you know I no, guess no. It, I will say like just outside of Melbourne is is maybe not as shocking as it might sound because you got to remember like Melbourne is quite a dense city, but you really only have to go like half an hour outside of it, or or maybe an hour outside of it to be in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm. And, um, you, you know, like Melbourne is a big sports hub. So, you know, if you had a blimp for like coming in and out for a sports event or something like that, maybe not so shocking. So I, I can kind of see why her mind went there, even if it, at face value, it's it's not the most logical conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, this object just kind of became more distinct. And these orange lights were lights from inside the craft. There were these windows, and inside were the silhouettes of figures moving about. And this uh, object it, uh, hovered over the trees. Uh, the forms looked down at them, and when Kelly pointed to them, the craft shot away to the left. Andrew was dismissive as ever, and you know, saying that this was no UFO; it's a government thing. Um, so clearly, you know, you guys got some advanced technology, which I dig. Uh, apparently oh, heaps of it you know like even yep. even right now i'm recording on secret advanced technology that's uh, not available outside of australia you know <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah I, like that, that's it's like it, it's sort of odd because it is a real it is a real go-to over here like you know people talking about oh experimental craft or this that or the other and you know of course the the obvious uh counter to that is like well we don't really have those massive military bases in the same way that y'all do over in the u.s you know um Mm -hmm. but conversely like if it's secret how would i know anyway so you know it's exactly (laughs) so that follows that circular logic i guess (laughs) well i mean i'm not australian so i i don't know how connected you are you all are to your military technology over there so you know joke could be on me you know (laughs) no no it's it's really not like i mean like certainly yeah we have a big military presence and things like that but it's it's not it's not the same as it is in the u.s like it's it's just kind of philosophically different i don't know if that's the best way to put it like Mm. you know we, we we don't have the same relationship as a country with our military i don't think you know aside from anzac day which is like our um world war one and world war two commemoration day every year like, like veterans day or something like that yeah. yeah so a moment later near yuma marrying creek there was suddenly a light in the middle of the road huge and bright and it seemed to cut off the entire road the light was directly in front of them and it was just incredibly blinding Kelly held up her hand to shield her eyes, wondering how Andrew could just drive through this, you know, but he carried on. The road curved to the left and Kelly's heart was pounding. She was sure that they were going to see a UFO and grew more excited by the moment. It it, it kind of has like shades of Betty Hill, 
Yeah, Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah if it's 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 again, it's been a while since I read about um, that case. But if I recall correctly, Barney was very. Like, we're just going to keep driving, like yep. and Betty being like, "No, no, no!" There's something like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, how can you ignore that? Um, yeah, but... it's, it's it's right there. It's right there. How you not? How you not seeing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, suddenly the light disappeared, and they found that uh, they had decelerated quite a bit. Um, they were now going about forty kilometers an hour when they had been about pushing a hundred. So. Yeah, which would be about right on the on the freeways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100, 100 to one hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were also suddenly on a different part of the road. Kelly's heart was no longer pounding, and her adrenaline—it was just gone. She felt very calm and relaxed, kind of almost serene, which is something you know UFO witnesses report all the time. And she felt at that time that they jumped somehow. Kelly knew that there had been a roundabout they were supposed to be coming up to, but now they were somehow past it on the other side. Or they had somehow covered uh, about over several hundred meters of you know road in under about a second, and she just had no memory of this. So typical kind of abduction um, screen memories here. And Kelly and Andrew, they were kind of uh, sluggish and disoriented and a bit confused. And Kelly tried to ask Andrew about the UFO she thought they were going to see. And, you know, she dismissed her question. He dismissed her questions and she just kind of became quiet because, you know, again, getting into how bad a husband he seems to be. She suddenly noticed the smell of vomit, but neither of them could find traces on themselves or in the car, uh, which is the nightmare um, because you could just, you could be sitting in it for all I know, but uh, yeah. I've, I've been in that situation, like not, (laughs) not UFO related, but uh, like in one of my old offices, like it uh, just, just, stank of vomit and we all like myself and my co-workers spent a lot of time trying to figure out where it was coming from <laughs> with, with no success with no success so perhaps perhaps as George perhaps, would say aliens yeah. you know <laughs> oh yeah it's a yeah, it's yeah. an office abduction that's probably you know it's one of the best places to be abducted quite frankly. yeah during the day in the middle of sydney mm-hmm. like you know yeah it's it's dis- discreet you know no one would notice yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so uh while looking kelly noticed she was feeling pain and discomfort from her gut to her shoulders it was similar to when she had the laparoscopy and they kind of just like fill you up with gas so that's that's uncomfortable but uh they arrived home an hour later than they should have at 2 30 a.m kelly brought up the ufo again and andrew tried to be dismissive but this time she was firm about it. He dismissed it as demons and told her to let it go. And, you know, I could feel my blood pressure uh, just rising right there. It's uh, it's going up. Yeah, I I was like, I can't really, you know, not being um, Muslim myself or, or having kind of grown up in that that cultural or religious framework. Like I couldn't 
sort of begin to guess what the kind of consensus position is on on uh, on uh, UFOs and things like that in in, in that sort of community. You know, and I'm sure there's a whole spectrum of of belief and ideas around it. But I remember even as a kid being kind of surprised that Kelly didn't think that at all. Like she doesn't seem to have at any point kind of suggested. Oh, well, I mean, you know, we'll we'll kind of get to that, but. You know, she seems to have seen all this in a in a kind of weirdly positive light. Like most of the the people I went to church with as a kid, I can't imagine them. To, yeah, you know, sort of seeing a bunch of weird lights in the sky and being like, "Well, it's obviously a, it's obviously angels or a god thing," you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see them as being more in the Bob Larson vein of assuming it's all demonic or something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's the way it things. That's how it, that's how the world works, quite frankly. You know, mm. it, it's just, uh, it's just the way of things. But uh, before turning in for the night, Kelly noticed a small red equilateral triangle under her navel, which is again, not uncommon for abductees to see marks. And that night Kelly dreamed she was sitting on the side of a field. Her head was between her knees and she felt sick. It was as if she'd gone unconscious and just woken up. There was a craft in the field and several creatures were leading her husband away. The beings had long and lanky limbs, but she could only see them from the about the elbow up. And feeling that the creature who was with her husband was a female, Kelly felt instantly jealous and charged the being, grabbing its arm violently and turned her around. She yelled, leave him alone. Don't touch him. I, it's just like, we've, we've got the, the, uh, intergalactic lovers triangle here. And, uh, it's it's something you don't expect. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and and I and I wouldn't say they they really come back to it a lot either, you know. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but yeah, certainly uh, there doesn't seem to have been like an intergalactic menage a trois or anything like that on the cards. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, she was very very um, touchy about it, and but yeah, it's it's such an odd moment in the book where she gets upset about it, and then it's just kind of dropped and not not really discussed again either and part of that mm-hmm. to be fair may be because um because of you know not wanting to include too much info about her husband uh, I don't know but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really odd moment as soon as she grabbed the being, she lost consciousness but came to a second later. She found herself standing over a body while down the field, a woman was screaming at Kelly. Murderous, she said, and ran toward her. Kelly was then led away and found herself in a very small room with only a table. A being stood in front of the table and told her that she didn't kill anyone, that they had used her sense of morality to overcome her fear. Kelly inexplicably felt this being was familiar and she trusted them calling them the keeper of my soul on the table was her bible this being gave her the choice to come with them and leave the bible behind or to take it and leave kelly's trust was gone without her response she gave her the bible what to unpack there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to just to understate it a little bit. I mean, I think like, but but that's a sort of very um, the like the. I mean, 
growing up to some degree, like uh, I miss the sort of um, most extreme moments of the satanic panic, I guess, <laughs> you know, just because of the age I was, but certainly it was still alive and well into the nineties in, in mm. kind of church culture. And th- this narrative like sort of just seems pretty, I guess, typical to me. It's kind of like, Oh, you know, I, and sort of people, when people talk about like their alleged new age experiences or things like that, or how they were saved out of being a new ager or that kind of thing, like this, this kind of thing wasn't terribly unusual. It's like, well, you can have great wisdom and this, that, and the other, but you've got to give up Jesus and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it sort of fits in that kind of, it's, it's an odd like entry into a UFO story, but it's pretty typical, like, you know, um, evangelical story of the, of the period, I think. Yeah. 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 Two days later, Andrew was cleaning out his car and found Kelly's missing Bible on the floor near her seat. Given that Kelly never took her Bibles from her home, she didn't go to church and her Bible study was always private. She could uh, come to only one conclusion. It had been returned to her during their UFO encounter. She felt her dream had been real and thought the being must have taken her Bible the day she was studying in the room and felt that powerful energy. And for the next three weeks, she tried to resume her life, but her health was failing. She had continued to bleed for those three weeks and had developed sensitivity to light. She also started getting migraines that came and went for months after the encounter where she'd never had them before. On August 30th, Kelly ended up in the hospital where they discovered she had a uterine infection. She was told that type of infection only occurs if there's been a recent pregnancy that uh, has miscarriage and left behind tissue or complications from a recent surgery, of which she had not taken part in. Antibiotics were given and the bleeding was eventually stopped. On September 6th, 1993... Kelly had the first of four visitations in the night. She dreamed that she was lying in bed and became aware of a presence in the room coming near her. She only saw someone when she became fully alert. She also received a message. Don't be afraid of what is about to happen. She then felt uh, suction on her chest that seemed to be draining, you know, kind of energy from her, the way that she put it. And Mm. it felt like her chest had turned into a rubber bank, which is interesting. Yeah, um, this this I, I remember this part horrifying me as a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, mm-hmm. in the, it's very uh, very visceral the way she describes it in the book. Um, but uh, I haven't run across anything like this directly in kind of um, UFO cases specifically. Um, but of course, then she kind of goes on to liken it to um, kind of cases of incubi and succubi and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, and. That's when we, I would really like knowing, you know, having done more reading now since I was, you know, 13 or 14 <laughs> and uh, being a little more worldly, like this is where the sort of Jacques Vallee kind of aspects start to come in really, isn't it? You know, the the idea yeah. of it maybe being a mask for something else or, you know, what are the aliens and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely has, uh, it also has ties to, 
the uh, Mojave incident, um, in in which the 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 family that got abducted definitely had a very religious interpretation for what was happening to them at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, demons came definitely came into the the picture as kind of an explanation for that. So uh, it's kind of interesting that you have these few cases that do go down this religious bent. It seems spiritual, but it's interpreted through this religious lens, which kind of gives it a very unique um, perspective to it, a very unique feel. So, um, yeah, this is um, it's it's interesting and it's unique in many ways. Yeah, particularly when you consider that they're not the only sort of religious abductees or anything like that. Like I think the, um, Betty and Barney Hill were Unitarians or, or something mm. like that, if I recall correctly. And like, they don't really, I mean, I, I know Betty Hill sort of had some interesting stuff later in life and so on, but, um, they don't really seem to have necessarily interpreted it through that lens. And, you know, Strieber's, I, I believe still a Catholic, like he doesn't sort of, um, seem to have inherently kind of tied this to Catholicism or something like that. So it does seem to be a kind of, I can't speak to the Mojave incident, but it does seem to be more of an evangelical thing, maybe. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if you have thoughts around that at all. Yeah, I think that's definitely one. I, I think that's a lens to interpret it through is, uh, yeah, it, it has kind of that evangelical feel to it, uh, especially if you've ever, you know, kind of attended a service before it, it definitely kind of heads in that direction for sure um mm, mm, mm. she became terrified and she was shocked into this full alertness opening her eyes she saw a tall black figure standing inches away beside her right next to her bed it was wearing a full-length hooded cloak the face was black and it had big red eyes. She felt it was a quote-unquote soul vampire sealing her soul. She had never had a supernatural experience before this and didn't connect it to the UFO. As it stood there, she felt terror being projected at her. Suddenly it vanished. Kelly bolted out of, a be- out of bed and ran to Andrew, who told her she had probably been half asleep and only thought she saw something, and to go back to sleep. Best hus- husband of the year here. Like the- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, if memory serves, I think they slept in separate rooms because he was a shift yeah. worker or something like that, but but that that's sort of by the... Like, like, there was actually a reason for it. It wasn't just that they weren't getting on or that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh it's uh I I don't know. I don't know. I I've I've had my own kind of experiences with night terrors and that sort of thing and um it 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 is weird and it is disconcerting and I I've had them sort of make me feel horrible for the next day or so, you know, like uh but I I wouldn't sort of say there's been anything kind of uh, I wouldn't personally attribute anything supernatural to them myself like I think it's but, you know, I think with that said, whether or not something, you know, quote unquote real had happened to her, she was obviously upset. Like, you know, take take some time with her to, to make sure she's all right. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 That, that, uh, oh, that's the, yeah. That's the ideal situation. Uh, husbands, comfort your experiencers. Same wife's. Do the same. Um, non-binary people do the same, please. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Odd things began to happen at their house. The TV would be on and blaring in the middle of the night when it had been turned off before bed. Uh, When Kelly would go to turn it off, it it would turn itself off before she could reach it, which is kind of the ultimate dick move by whatever (laughs) phenomenon uh, really does that. Um, The VCR would spontaneously eject tapes. Uh, One night it ejected 12 or 13 times, which is very excessive. Uh, It will also skip scary scenes in movies, which is a new one. I've never heard that before. (laughs) No, no, this, this was kind of a new one to me too. And, uh, and she kind of talks in her book about the kids sort of finding all this quite funny and talking about how they liked their haunted VCR and things like <laughs> that. But yeah, I I also wanted to, like when she meant skipping them, did she mean it literally fast forwarded or did it just right. like cut from one to another? Cause like this was obviously a pre DVD era. You know? so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But she, but she doesn't get too into the weeds on that one. She just says it, uh, it skips. So yeah. Were these aliens into tape splicing? That's an interesting (laughs) question. (laughs) What were they they watching? Like, did the aliens sort of stop them watching Faces of Death or something like that? Right, (laughs) right. Like, what qualifies as scary? I just want to know. But we we don't get we don't get a lot of clarification on that, which is which is fine. You know, like that is what it is. But uh, apparently. Yeah, it, it's all. Kind of, well, I was just going to say it's all kind of mm-hmm. pretty standard, like poltergeist sort of style activity, yeah. though, isn't it? You know, and and her, the, it doesn't seem to have been connected with her kids or anything like that, which which often it ordinarily is. So like, um, yeah, it's just just kind of this little oddity, but you do see those electrical quirks and things like that showing up a lot in these cases as well. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And uh, her electrical appliances would also blow up, which is not great. It's not fantastic. Andrew's that, car would not start to mention by itself. Fucking yeah. expensive back in the oh, 90s, yeah. too. Like, this wasn't when you could go to Kmart and buy like a microwave for $30 or something like that. No, you know, like, so. no not at all. You're, you're paying like, you're paying like $150 for that thing. I remember our first like microwave, and it was, it, it had the faux wood paneling on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my parents had the same microwave from like uh, I think uh, you know ninety three ish till when I moved out in like two thousand five or something like that. Uh, you didn't mm-hmm. just you didn't just throw the stuff away or replace it the way you would now. <laughs> 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 oh, the the expensive days of appliances. That that the younger folks will never know. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, Andrew's car would start by itself and and Kelly was getting shocked when she would touch objects like wood, soil and stones in her garden. And all of this began a few days after the encounter and didn't stop until her fourth night visitation in January of 1994. At the time, Kelly didn't connect all of these things and had blotted out the events of August 7th. So it's kind of interesting, I this like naivete that exists where experiencers do not connect these things to the UFO because and I, and I tend to wonder, is it because like a UFO experience is very different and distinct from you know, a poltergeist experience or having a nighttime visitation in your bedroom. Like, how do you not connect these things together? I tend to wonder. 
I, I think there's a few aspects there. I think for one thing, she sort of, you know, was very self-described as quite naive about, say, you know, the idea of the paranormal or UFOs or anything like that. Um, I think also, like, you know, in in day-to-day life, we, you, you know, you she had three kids running around. Like, you, you have to compartmentalize to a certain degree to get through the day and make sure they're all fed and washed and, you know, um, yeah. just, just staying alive, you know. And then, to top that off like um you know it's hard not to wonder whether the sort of religious aspect and again this is reading it as an adult not as a kid like whether that was kind of bordering on mania so that was sort of shoving other stuff out and then like she's very obviously in an unhappy marriage you know like probably it's it's hard not to see like getting an electric shock from stone in the backyard is pretty low on the list of concerns (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think we all have kind of anomalous things that don't, ma- and and not, and and I don't strictly mean that in a paranormal sense. Like I mean, you know, you have an interaction with someone at, that that feels a bit odd, and then you find out like six months later, I actually I just run into that person. Um, uh, as they were coming out of the hotel where they'd been having an affair or something like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, but you don't, you don't connect those things at the time and you can't because you don't have all the requisite information either. But, but what's your, your kind of take around it, I guess? Like why, why do you think people miss the, the signs? I think it, a lot of it just has to, it comes down to maybe being just wrapped up in your own, uh, interpretation of what's going on and believing uh, that there is that general naivete when it comes to the kind of UFO stuff. Like she does at one point say UFO, but it, it just seems almost like kind of offhanded, almost not serious in a way. But I think a lot of it kind of comes down to what you're uh, concerned with in your daily life and, Maybe you're not spending a lot of time thinking about this. And and when it comes to events like this, it seems that they slip from the mind rather easily, whether that's by design or by um, way of the mind and how it um, kind of filters out anomalous things that occur to you over the course of a day. So I think, you know, those are kind of the contributing factors, but I think it also gets down to the fact that I think she's more enraptured with the Bible and the religious side of it more than she is by the esoteric stuff that's happening to her. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, definitely. At, at this stage in particular, I would say definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. And there's that tendency to, uh, I, I don't know. It's interesting. She sort of talks about like never having had a supernatural experience before, but doesn't think of like the, the moment after she'd been, you know, essentially like fasting and praying for weeks. Like she didn't sort of necessarily qualify that as supernaturally though. You know, it's very, uh, yeah, it's, it's odd. Some of the, um, some of the ways she chooses to, to piece it together, I guess, though, to be fair, like the, the book is not structured in a linear fashion. And so there's no. that aspect of, hindsight and then putting it all together i guess yeah yeah so on september 16th 1993 kelly and andrew went to a barbecue at a friend's house and at a certain point in the conversation ufo talk had come up and andrew exclaimed that they had seen strange lights recently 
and Kelly was shocked and couldn't remember seeing anything. But Andrew insisted that they had because Andrew's a dick bag and apparently the dick bags uh, remember their UFOs, I guess. I don't know. But over the next week, she began to remember the lights and the strange blimp, quote unquote, that they had witnessed on the way home. On October 1st, Kelly and Andrew were going back to Eva's where Kelly was planning to spend the night. When they passed through a certain section of the same road, she suddenly knew what had happened. She had overwhelming feelings of dread and devastation. Graphic memories flashed, and she couldn't believe she had forgotten them. These flashes were from their missing time that night eight weeks ago, going from the appearance of the bright light just uh, to just before she noticed the vomit smell in the car as they drove. She kept silent as the images continued to flood her mind, afraid if she spoke, she would somehow lose them. Kelly would only ever regain the first 10 to 15 minutes from the beginning of the experience. She's still missing at least an hour. Um, I don't know if she's regained any more than that because um, she kind of, you know, drops off the face of the earth, which we'll talk about uh, at the at the end of this. But uh, two attempts at hypnosis were eventually tried by two separate therapists found uh, through the researchers in this case, which we'll be talking about too, but uh, it didn't work. She apparently uh, was not a good candidate for hypnosis, but no, and, and kind of yeah. self describes as one too, you know, like yeah. she, she sort of says, look, I was always very um, sort of stresses. Like after I had these experiences, I was very conscious that I didn't want to let anything else like, you know, quote unquote, control my mind or anything like that. And so, that probably had an impact on how susceptible I was to being able to be hypnotized and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So on the night of the sightings, the bright light over the road they had seen had come from a craft sitting in the middle of a big paddock on the right. It sat in a low gully about 150 meters back from the road. Uh, It was about the width of an Olympic sized swimming pool and and high as a two-story house and it was brightly illuminated kelly and andrew pulled over and were in awe of the sight the night had been pitch black with no moon or street lights the craft seemed to be made of a solid light and was mainly orange this craft was a much larger version of the one kelly had seen earlier hovering over the trees except for one thing Underneath this one, you could see a blue light shaped like a half shell that appeared to be comprised of solid bars alternating between dark and light blue. Fluorescent mist surrounded the craft. After she got out of the car, Kelly stopped and reached back in to grab her purse from the floorboard. It was this act that Kelly feels was more of a conscious act and caused her to have a type of short circuit in the memory uh, in the that you know cause uh in her memory amnesia kelly then noticed there was a car behind them that had also stopped she could see a couple outside of it holding hands kelly and andrew also holding hands approached the craft and a tall black figure suddenly appeared in front of it it was very tall too thin and kind of misshapen its head wasn't quite right and looks some, odd. Some people have described to me in a similar fashion, I should say. 
now I have confirmation that you are an alien. So uh, that's good to know. Oh, secrets yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly heard a thought coming from the being. Let's kill them. Mm, great. Suddenly, more figures appeared, their eyes suddenly blazing red. Energy hit Kelly in waves of vibration along with horror. Kelly started screaming. They've got no souls. They're evil. They're going to kill us. And then they charged. These creatures glided toward them, covering 150 meters in three seconds, their feet not touching the ground. They split up to go toward each group of people. Along with the energy and horror, a sound like roaring wind was in Kelly's head, and it seemed as if something was interfering with the way her brain worked. A figure appeared in front of Kelly, and she felt a tremendous blow to her stomach right in the solar plexus of energy. It knocked her backwards through the air, and she landed on her back. She managed to sit up with difficulty further back in the field and felt sick. Her vision was gone, but she could still hear and feel. She heard the beings telling Andrew, we mean you no harm. Okay. Like, how is it they're (laughs) they're saying we're going to kill them and now we mean you no harm? Okay. We're we're being gaslit here because this is ridiculous. Massively, massively. I think very disingenuous there, uh, aliens, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, get, you know, be consistent. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But, but she does kind of talk in the book about how um, she felt almost that they were sort of following a bit of a script and that that's, you know, quote unquote script really played on what um, culturally you would kind of expect you know just from what we've seen in movies and and you know think like you know your close encounters of the third kind or the day the earth stood still and that kind of thing mm-hmm. like she does she does kind of talk about how like it felt very scripted and and you know they were repeating these lines because they knew they'd get positive responses from them even if their behavior was sort of contrary to that after proclaiming that they meant their meant her no harm Andrew then asked, then why did you hit Kelly? And his voice uh, was almost gone from fright. That was the the last time Kelly heard Andrew's voice during this experience. The being answered him saying, I wouldn't harm her. After all, I am her father. Okay. (laughs) Um, We've got a Darth Vader situation here. Yeah. And and I would say here too is the moment where we really start moving into some of the kind of like more esoteric and, and sort of implications of, of some of this case too with Kelly kind of talking about how the idea of like these being sort of more spiritual entities as opposed to like say literal physical extraterrestrials or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they were sort of, she felt, and and this 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 is a lot of extrapolation on her part too. I should add, it's not like she kind of says, "Oh, the aliens told me this," yeah. right? But she sort of extrapolates, "Oh, like these are the actual beings that have been listening to my prayers. Have I 
summon them? Have I done this? Have I done that? And I, I'm sure there's like, you, you know, you could do a very interesting Gnostic reading of this whole case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, these creatures as like archons or, or other sort of manifestations of the Demiurge or that kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not kind of qualified to do that. But <laughs> um, yeah, the she she does sort of, you know, she starts to certainly see... Um, Certainly starts to question a lot of her faith and things like that after this point too. Like I, I wouldn't say she discards it entirely, but certainly seeing a, a, a bigger scale of like what good and evil might look like, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I will note about the heads of these aliens, uh, they look very kind of, um, uh, what, what, oh, the heck case am i thinking of um they they look like uh that the case from massachusetts it's gonna slip my mind now uh yeah uh, let's see let's see um, massachusetts from the 70s oh god ufo 70s i thought of them as looking like kind of evil grays yeah <laughs> you, you know yeah like, yeah in the sense they had really um they sort of had like you know, and and she sort of talks to them about uh, about them as being um, uh, black skinned, but not not sort of the color black, more like literally kind of cut out of space kind of thing, and and having these glowing red eyes that look like uh, um, sort of the way she describes them. I remember is the, the the heating element when it's cooling down after you've switched it off on a stove yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the creature that I was thinking of, uh, just in, with head shape, is the Dover Demon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that rings a bell. I'm just bringing up a picture of it now. Just uh, just a a, with the head ASMR. shape. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks looks a bit like um. Uh, I assume the the guys who did Doctor Who took this for like the the silence. I think they're called like yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. It looks looks quite a bit like that. But yeah, I've seen the Dover Demon before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I would I would definitely agree. Though smaller, smaller. Like yeah. the, the these these things are sort of implied to be like seven feet or so, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. They are they're they're pretty pretty tall very tall um kelly then started to scream uh, assuming that uh this was all kind of mockery that uh they that they are not her father that she is not her, their daughter and that they are evil so she says it over and over again and she had uh called out to this craft to wait for her and she had prayed to god uh for help and uh, she felt it was being very derisive, which I can understand. Uh, mm. It's not going the way that you want it to. Um, I get it. Totally understand. Yeah, it's, we we all. We, I think we've all had uh, prayers go unanswered, but uh, some sometimes they get answered in ways that you weren't expecting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, at this time, Kelly felt sick and blacked out. As she came to, she heard one of the beings speaking to the other witnesses saying, we're a peaceful people. Kelly again screamed out not to believe them. She felt something was familiar about them and that they were evil. She heard the one speaking say, will someone please do something about her? 
<laughs> Kelly then felt the hand on her shoulder. It disgusted her, and she became enraged. Still with no vision, she looked toward the arm and screamed, How dare you? Her next memory is of being back in the car. Um, that's just, yeah, it's utterly terrifying. It's a terrifying experience, and I'm, I'm not down with that. Uh, at all no it's it's really um like it's if if you don't pay 150 bucks for it but if you can read it it's definitely worth reading um because it it is it 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 has that same kind of like i know increasingly you and i both have very mixed feelings about like whitley streber for a variety of reasons Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like communion, it, it has that same sort of quality as communion where it's actually kind of a horror novel that, that yeah. happens to be about a UFO abduction, um, you know, and, and encounter, which, which is Kelly's book certainly has those qualities as well too. Like it, it'd make for an excellent horror film, I suspect. Like, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and interestingly enough, back in, it was late 2018, uh NPR put a list together of the 100 greatest horror novels and they actually put communion on it even though it was non-fiction. <laughs> yeah, well I mean it, it's sort of like you know even if you don't buy his story it definitely still works on that level, you know, like it's yeah. a and then the then the movie like I I don't think it's a very good movie about alien abduction, but I do think it's a good movie about a man having a midlife crisis and having to kind of undergo the individuation process i guess you know <laughs> uh, yeah i mean if you want to entertain yourself with probably the wildest uh christopher walken movie that you've ever seen you should yes. totally watch communion <laughs> yeah have you ever wanted to see christopher walken dance with grace now you have the chance yeah, you know. now you have the chance uh, especially grace that you can tell are puppets absolutely yes yeah yeah that jim henson would not have been pleased <laughs> like, no. he wouldn't have yeah he wouldn't have uh if they oh <laughs> uh, you yeah I, I plan to do a lupine transmissions episode about that one day but the the I haven't found the right the, the right partner yet, but it, it'll come, I'm sure. Maybe you should come on and talk about it. Wrong Maybe life. I should, because yeah. I have talked about this film on other podcasts, and it's just, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, Whitley Strieber wrote the script for this, so it's like, why? why yeah, is it so yeah. bad? <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, and yeah, the... Uh, yeah, it's it's but another another conversation for another time. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, if if they made a movie out of Encounter, it would no doubt be better than uh, the movie of Communion. So <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, they are uh, right now. I think the uh, the film rights for Alan Godfrey's story uh, have been optioned, so we could see a movie about that. Uh, in the future so that i mean that that has the potential to be i think something interesting just because of um the um the zygmunt adamski you know mysterious death combined with alan godfrey's alien abduction and stuff and it has the makings of an interesting film i'll say if they do it right um because you know with something like fire in the sky the the most terrifying portion of that movie is the least accurate portion of that movie 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like it, it's sort of all the like the small country town stuff that's more true to life, but is is uh, the less engaging portion of the movie. <laughs> yeah, just like really bad. But here's this really dope ten minute alien abduction scene that is uh, just utterly terrifying. Have fun with mm-hmm. that. I, I think like th- this is this is something I've thought about quite a bit. Like I, I think the issue you sometimes have with alien abduction movies is um, to, to the general public who is maybe not as well versed in kind of like you know UFO law, I guess, where you, you know like at surface level people kind of think it's about. Um, you know, physical beings visiting from another planet or something like that, right? And I would say that's probably still the popular conception. Whereas once you read a few books about it, you're like, oh, it's actually this hodgepodge of like, you know, different world mythology. There's some science aspects to it, but there's also a lot of like, you know, um, you, you know, new Jacques Valley types who essentially just sort of say, oh, fairies and this, that, and the other are all kind of mm-hmm. manifestations of the same underlying phenomenon and aliens is just the form it's taking i think you run into problems from the standpoint that you know there's always a lot of kind of peripheral phenomena associated like the kind of poltergeist like activity and that from a story standpoint is difficult to justify when you're talking about like physical entities it's kind of like Mm -hmm. well why would they be making why would they make the microwave blow out you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's in the the kind of that works as a strict. That works in a supernatural setting, but if you're using a a kind of physical alien, then it doesn't. It's sort of like, oh, why would they do that? How can they do that? You know, and and I think that's where some of these films fall down. I guess, yeah, yeah. It's why we didn't get like a massive fight scene on the Silver Bridge in the Mothman prophecies, which I felt that movie. It wouldn't have detracted from how uh, enjoyable that movie is. I think a big Mothman battle scene would have been just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, Richard Gee like, gunning down the Mothman. Yes. <laughs> you bastard. You're going to pay for what you did to that bridge. Oh, like. <laughs> uh, yes. Just, uh, uh, yeah, well, we can we can write sequels. but uh, Yeah, you yeah. Know. Mothman... <laughs> prophecies too like uh, even more prophetic this time like yes <laughs> with more prophecy and yeah. more bridges <laughs> uh, <laughs> so on october 14th it had been five weeks since her first visitation kelly was awakened by the sensation of someone uh, uh, something pulling strongly on her ankles it was holding her legs above the floor she wouldn't open her eyes and couldn't move the lower part of her body. Her upper body could move a little bit, uh, a little, but felt like it was uh, just kind of made of lead. She couldn't, it's too heavy. So she tried to wake up Andrew, but couldn't. Kelly started fighting it mentally and it eventually let go. Once it did, she suddenly opened her eyes and found her body back in place. Thinking she might have dreamed it, she was relieved until she noticed a tall, black figure standing beside her bed. It was wearing a dark cloak and hood. The The figure stood there for three seconds and then vanished. So that kind of also leads into 
like uh you know describing this uh figure as tall and and dark and it's wearing this dark hood it definitely plays into kind of that demonic element of this case oh 100 percent. like imagine if you'd sort of shown this to like a you know a 15th century british peasant or something yeah like that. like holy shit well you know like i don't i don't think they'd be thinking in terms of life from other planets i think they'd be thinking it was the devil you know or, or one yeah. of his one of his agents yeah so the um and and i think the at surface level it might read as a bit odd to some people why she like didn't just open her eyes straight away but i think you need to remember she had like three young kids under 10 it's it's not totally implausible that one of them could have run into like try and wake her up or something like yeah that, you know like yeah and you, you don't realize till part way through oh you know like james like bugger off you know like the, <laughs> leave, you know, leave, leave us alone yeah the, it's not time yeah. to get up damn it yeah it's not time yet <laughs> go, go watch cartoons you know like yeah <laughs> um yeah so so this this if i recall correctly was uh, yeah this this was 94 still wasn't it yeah the mm. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. so yeah, but this this one, I will say, it doesn't seem to have disturbed her quite as much from from what I recall. Like she seems to have been like, "Oh, that was weird," but it, it was sort of the next one after this where things got where she was particularly disturbed by it, if memory serves. Yeah, on October twenty third, one week after that visitation, Kelly was at Eva's house staying the night in her spare bedroom. It was four thirty in the morning when she was laying down on the bed and heard a voice in her head that said, go have a look underneath the car. She didn't follow the direction and instead began to go pray. Kelly says she then had a spiritual realization in a state of detachment. She also felt as if she were everywhere at once. This continued for about 15 minutes straight after she finally fell asleep. She had only been asleep for about an hour and a half when she woke up to find a black creature leaning over her with its head near her stomach. It was naked this time. It was tall and had a bulging belly that looked like a malnourished person. It had long, lanky limbs, a misshapen and elongated head, and eyes that bulged but were not red. There were no genitals. The skin looked craggy like black uh, plasticine. And she mm, felt mm. like it had uh, poked uh, it. Um, uh, she, she felt she, like... She, if, if she kind of poked it, that a finger would sink into it, like yeah. plasticine or something like that, I, I think she said. Yeah. She, yeah. Yep. Uh, and it also looked like um, it was made up of... Uh, like of an uh, absence of matter, like a hole in space. So Kelly sat up in bed and screamed. It sprang back away from her and looked horrified. She had scared it when she woke up. It vanished a second later. Kelly started saying words she had been told, but didn't remember hearing. They told her not to be afraid that a man was going to come and kiss her. Okay. Um, Yep. I I would 
be a little bit concerned if someone told me that you know yeah like, so who, who is this man like you know can, uh, can you give me yeah. a few more details <laughs> uh ca- character references please uh um, yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> that's when she woke up and saw it leaning over her it was going to kiss her navel not her face right about where the odd triangle was near her navel the next morning on the drive to melbourne to pick up her kids, Kelly told Andrew she had um, Kelly told Andrew she had been told to look under the car. He joked it off and didn't look. On the drive home, a terrible sound came from under the car. Uh, upon inspection, Andrew found the flywheel cover was hanging on by a thread. So, uh, of all the terrifying stuff that's going on here. Um, this is one instance in which the aliens were trying to be helpful. Yeah, I, I feel like the whole story is is one of mixed messages, isn't it? And and you mm. do you do kind of wonder if um, again some of this comes out of reading it now again as an adult as opposed to a kid. But you do wonder if they were trying to be helpful the whole time, and she's just wildly misinterpreting everything they do. <laughs> You know, because she's because she's looking at it through this sort of evangelical framework and so yeah. on. And actually, they're quite pleasant, and she just misrepresented everything. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah, but then with that said, some of the other elements are still still quite disturbing, even outside of that context. So yeah, yeah. Why does an alien need to kiss her stomach? I have no idea. Fair. Absolutely fair question, and uh, yeah. I can't think of any reasonable reason off the top of my head, to be honest. Yeah. Nope. Mm. No, it's just a yeah. mystery that we have to live with now. Um, <laughs> which is, and all of you listeners are going to have to live with it, which is fine. We need, yeah. If only Robert Stack was still here, we could have gotten him onto it, but uh, yeah, sadly, yeah. RIP, you know. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, rest in peace, Robert Stack. Uh, in January, Kelly had a lucid and vivid dream that her bathroom light had blown out. As she was still sleeping, she could feel something grab her right hand and pull hard. Like, what is it with these aliens? It's just like grabbing, you know, appendages. Like, let's let's just take it easy here. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's other aspects too. Like, when, you, you know, the... Like, the, some of the incidents suggest that they have some control over being able to subdue people and control memory to a certain degree, like that that sort of initial encounter out, out in the field where, she, you know, she's got a missing hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yet, like, they're really kind of, they're like a comedy cat burglar or something like that when they're trying to deal with her on her own. Like, oh, oh I knocked that over. Oh, you know, I tried to sneak her out of bed, but it didn't work. Oh, oh no, you know, like sort of really borderline slapstick stuff you know yeah. if, if it wasn't so horrifying you know um but yeah m- maybe it's a strength in numbers thing i i don't know maybe maybe this guy was the intern so he was just bad at it like it's uh, it's difficult to say and it's doesn't they all I don't want to say all cases, but like there are a lot of cases that I'm sure you've run across that operate to their own weird dream logic, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so the things they like incidents like, oh, this guy's going to come and kiss your belly button. Like it's really horrifying in context. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it's not weird out of context either. It certainly is, but um, you know, it doesn't, 
like when you look at that incident as isolated, it's just none of it makes logical sense. Why would this need to happen? Why is this person giving her dream forewarnings? And why does he? Why is he bad at it when he actually tries to do it? You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it doesn't doesn't kind of add up when you consider that they've got the other cases where they took a whole crowd. Of, well, they took several different people apparently into their ship and then did you know who knows what to them yeah it's but but i I don't know like is that something you've seen in other cases i guess like that sort of mass competency versus solo incompetency (laughs) uh like the regardless of whether you believe ed walters and in in his story those aliens just seem to be so bad at their job like (laughs) yes they really were weren't they yeah like yeah, you're trying to convince this guy to come on board. Apparently you can't just take him. You have to um get him to come on of his own free will. And you seem to be so terrible at it because you don't understand what scares human beings. You don't understand maybe the emotions involved with it. Like I can't imagine that all these aliens are just so cold fish when it comes to whatever they're they're doing. Like everything's clinical. Everything is straightforward. I just want an alien to tell me a joke. Like, if you're going to abduct me, please tell me a good solid joke and I'll go through with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the the Ed, the Ed Walters one is interesting. Like, is, is, isn't he, if I remember, it's been a while since I read that one too, but isn't he in the backyard, like about to go to his kid's high school football or basketball game or something like that? And the alien's like, uh, how about you come for a ride? And he's like, I, I can't like I gotta I gotta go to the big game guys <laughs> it's pretty something much. like that isn't it <laughs> yeah pretty much um he also <laughs> drolled on about uh how it was un-American to abduct people and I get it that's like, that's right yeah I forgot yeah. about that too he's like oh I couldn't believe how un-American this felt <laughs> yeah like, yeah yes that's that's the big concern here you know <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely a, a huge concern but uh yeah, so this this being grabs her right hand and uh, she fought it off, um, uh, and uh, she tried to until like she just kind of finally gave in. And when uh, she did, she kind of instantly woke up. The tall black being was standing next to her bed, with its head turned away from her, and it disappeared soon after. In the morning, she found it's the very- bathroom. It's yeah. very un-American of it, I have to oh, say. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... Would, is it un-Australian to do this? Yeah, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I I, can support that. I can totally support that. So Generally frowned on to go and work in other people's bedrooms. With, yeah, yeah. Without being uh, invited, you know. <laughs> I think that's uh, probably a universal thing that's frowned upon. Yeah, sure. I, w- I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning she found the bathroom light really had blown out and the diamond and sapphire ring she wore on her right hand were now missing they were her mother's and she always wore them and they've never been found uh, at least uh you know as of the writing of the book and um this was also the last time that she saw the being so uh kelly started a search kind of uh almost immediately, you know, reaching out to people who might be interested in her experiences. And she started with universities looking for a parapsychology department. And when that didn't uh, pan out, she tried the psychology department's 
Uh, someone eventually directed her to the Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, through them, she was sent to a UFO research group in Melbourne. Uh, you know, Bill Chalker uh, was also involved in this out of Sydney. And she she kind of just went with Bill uh, eventually because, you know, he's one of the better known ufologists at the time. Uh, also based in Sydney. So, you know. She, uh, her, well, what 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 had also happened was she was initially put in contact with the two groups. She was put in contact with Bill, and she was also put in contact with the Victorian group. Mm-hmm. And the first Victorian group kind of were just eager to rush straight to publication and and sort of get her to tell a story in print and so on and so forth, um, which she was deeply uncomfortable with at the time. At the time, later on, maybe not so much. Um, but so Bill Chalker ended up being who she went with. Um, yeah, but of course he was based in Sydney, so yeah, so he uh, he passed her back to a different um, Victorian investigator who had a. I assume he had a pre-existing relationship with him, but this is where it starts to get murky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, Bill told her to keep a journal, which she uh, you know used to write uh, her book later, and uh, gave her a survey, which also asked for drawings. Uh, John and his team would go on to comb the field. Uh, for trace evidence and Kelly went with him to the site uh, about two times. And uh, John, this is uh, John Echelettle, something like that. John Uh, Echelettle, maybe. Yeah. So I'm not a hundred percent on the pronunciation of his name either. It's, it's not one I'd run across before, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, No, this is uh, definitely not someone I'm familiar with, but uh, you know, in conjunction with Bill, they kind of worked together on this a bit. And during the time of the investigation, um, John had put Kelly on a book ban and wouldn't tell her, uh, you know, about his par- pro- about progress and, and all his conclusions. Uh, he was kind of trying to keep her in the dark during the investigation. And uh, John had a computer grid of uh, magnetic anomalies and showed a semicircular that sur- showed a semicircular impression. And they found the ground had been, uh, you know, where the incident occurred, been baked under high pressure. So they found this like triangular mark that corresponded to a tripod that the other witnesses had apparently drawn as well. So kind of some physical evidence in a way in this case, I guess, but, um, yeah, the, the reason, part of the reason Bill Chalker gets as much, um, uh, uh, credit and publicity as he does. And like, this is, this is definitely not to have a go at him. It's nothing like that, but more, part of the reason he gets a lot of uh, attention is because he has an actual background in chemistry and so on and worked as a kind yeah. of industrial chemist for many years. So he's not, um, uh, you know, there is sort of in theory, at least that kind of like greater sort of attention to some scientific detail <laughs> that's brought through yeah. in, in the cases that he tends to work on. Um, yeah. Whereas John, John is more of an enigma. He, um, had an organization and seems to have well i I mean i guess we'll get to that yeah i I don't want to don't want to jump the gun on that one yeah yeah um Mm. john ended up finding that there were soil changes and magnetic anomalies that corresponded to kind of the craft's dimensions and there was also unusually high amounts of tannic acid in in this semicircular area that should have 
kind of dissolved over the months due to the rain, but was instead locked in by a coating of some type of unidentifiable waxy substance. Um, PRA was interested in Andrew's role in it too, and his uh, Muslim background, but Andrew wouldn't be investigated and refused to let a report be released that contained anything to do with him. Uh, The report then had to be torn apart and dissected, leaving uh, it incomplete and full of holes. Once it was rewritten, placing greater emphasis on the other three witnesses, they they backed out too, feeling some of the material was too sensitive for public release. So solicitors uh, eventually became involved and uh, it left John with like no re- no rights at this point to release the report. So um, the other two women in the second car uh, had triangles under their navels as well, triangular marks, and one of them had ligature marks on her ankles. Both of these women had marks on the insides of their legs. They remembered being restrained flat on their backs on tables. They couldn't talk during it but they could telepathically tell how the other one was doing which is uh, i i enjoy that convenience what really happens to kelly after this yeah so look uh the, the allegedly so john basically claimed that he had like a 300 page report that he was ready to release um then as you noted like andrew was like nah and then the other some of the other witnesses were like nah so apparently at that point it kind of got cut down to about a hundred pages, <laughs> yeah. Um, which you would still think is fairly substantial, but I think that they felt that you know, out of out of context and and without that supplemental information from other witnesses, it wasn't as strong or or it wouldn't hold as much water. Um, questions have certainly been asked about uh, how much material he actually had in the first place in the years since. But this is also kind of where Kelly drops off the record too. So she published uh, her book Encounter in, I think it's copyrighted 96, but it came out sometime in 97. Um, she did quite a few TV interviews. She did um, Today Tonight, which which is an old current affairs show over here, kind of like um, 20, 20 or 60 minutes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a little, uh, with, with a little, uh, maybe not that highbrow, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and she did The Extraordinary, which was kind of like Australia's answer to sightings. Um, you know, I, I used to describe it as Australia's answer to unsolved mysteries, but really it's much more like sightings. It's It's got that <laughs> sensationalist aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and she sort of was establishing herself as a ufo investigator of her own she said she was going to write another book and then she just uh vanished and she goes by pseudonym and like i have not look she goes by pseudonym so you know i'm conscious that i want to respect her privacy and things like that as as i think anyone should really but she moved overseas very quickly afterwards to kind of get away from the fuss of it all. And she has moved back to Australia a, a couple of years ago, I think, um, and seems to just want to live the quiet life. Her and Andrew eventually divorced, uh, which which is not shocking. You know, that, that's sort of pretty obvious from the first few pages. Not of the book. shocking at <laughs> all. No. And um, I guess, like, realistically, her kids would be coming up on their, like, you know, late 20s, early 30s now. But, Mm -hmm. 
no one has really kind of like even Bill Chalker. So I, I haven't met Bill Chalker personally, but I've had little bits of correspondence with him over the years and, and that have sort of been both helpful and unhelpful at different times. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but, but, you know, he's also very busy, so I don't, I don't want to have a go at him for that. Um, you know, I think he. I, I don't know if he's still in contact with her. Uh, he wrote an article about it in 2016, talking about what a missed opportunity the whole thing had been, and how annoyed he was that he'd ever like put her in contact with John or Chettle and so on. So like, and you know, this this is still up there on the internet. So I don't think I'm embarrassing anyone by by kind of saying it. Yeah. But yeah, he, he was not impressed with how everything had been handled. Um, he was obviously frustrated that people had decided to exclude themselves, but I think I understood that. And um, yeah, and of course, now, as you might expect, you have people who run the gamut from being completely true believers in the case to thinking the whole thing's a complete hoax, that John Orchettle's... Uh, a one-man organization at most uh and that bill chalker is a fraud you know like uh, which which are which are not my words i want to be clear about that like mm-hmm. but certainly i have seen a lot of um finger pointing about who botched what and, <laughs> and so on and of course kelly herself has not come forward and none of the other witnesses have come forward um her kids haven't come forward her ex-husband hasn't come forward um, and so I, I don't think it, like I don't think we can totally exclude the possibility of it maybe being a hoax or something like that. Um, you know, just just given the sort of the the wide amount of attention it got initially versus how little follow up there has been and how difficult it seems to be get any kind of follow up going. Um, you know, did these other witnesses even exist? Like, it's it's really hard to say because their names aren't public record, even pseudonyms or anything like that. So, or not not um, full name pseudonyms. So it's it's very difficult to say. Um, I I would love it if she kind of came out and made a statement about it or something. But she's certainly not doing the Travis Walton thing of like working the UFO circuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know you can't you can't get your picture taken with Kelly Kale and a cardboard cutout of one of her abductors the way you can with Travis. You know, <laughs> right? Though <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'd be down for that at Comic Con or or something like that. You know, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, you know, come out of, uh, you know, please come back in the public eye and let's get some cardboard cutouts here. Let's get some. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you know, like, you know, people would pay 20, 30 bucks pop. I'm sure, you know, like, that's Oh not, yeah. That's, that's not nothing. If, if you've got a few hundred people doing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, kind of the investigation of this case and just the, just the way that it exists now, it's kind of this large gray space that is going to forever be, you know, believable and not and sensational and, and, and just it, it kind of exists in the sphere like most UFO cases, you know, it got to a certain point. And then that's got to be good enough because you're not going to get any more, more information. Nothing more is going to come out. We're not going to get names. We're not going to get anything else. But if anything, we've got the makings for a great podcast episode. 
<laughs> that's it. That's it. And I think too, you know, like uh, reading it now too, it, it's very easy to read it as a book of someone who's going through like a, a personal crisis as well too, like irrespective of the the reality of individual events and things like that. You know, she she had three kids under ten. Her marriage was breaking down. Her religious faith was. Um, possibly being expressed in an unhealthy way and also kind of being, uh, you know, also deteriorating and evolving into something new in its own way. Like any one of these things is very difficult (laughs) in and of itself, you know. So to have all of them going on at the same time, like, you know, it's it's, like uh, I I have a lot of, um, whatever the truth of the case is, I have a lot of sympathy for it because I think that she was, was obviously at a very difficult time in her life. And by the end of the book, she seems to have come out of that in a healthier way. And I hope she's still in a good way now, of course, like, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, at a personal level, it's certainly a case I'd love to know more about and wish there was, um, wish there'd been more follow-up, wish that, you know, but I can all, I also can't begrudge her from just wanting to get out of the public eye either. You know, I think it's, it's a lot for a young, naive person who's maybe not the most media savvy person in the world and, and you know, had spent most of their time living in like small town Victoria. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is a lot. And that's where this case is gonna exist, folks. It's gonna exist in this gray area. So Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about this absolutely wild case thanks for even recommending it in the first place but uh where can people keep up with what you're doing and uh keep up with lupine transmissions yeah absolutely so um the the best place to reach me these days is on instagram to be honest um if you give me a follow over at at lupine book club or at lupine transmissions um you know like i will say lupine transmissions comes out very erratically (laughs) but (laughs) but it does come out but it does come out and um you know we just kind of talk about all things strange dark and unusual so we'll talk about horror movies we'll talk about ufos we've got a wrestling episode coming up um can't can't reveal who it's about but it definitely fits under the strange dark and unusual sort of criteria Mm. uh and then uh yeah yeah and then uh i i'm actually uh i have an episode coming up very shortly on the fox alien autopsy video as well too so nice um yeah it'll be good fun be good fun uh reminiscing about stan winston also r.i.p um but yeah so if anyone's keen track me down there and look rob i can't thank you enough for having me on you know it's uh it's great to to finally do this after you know the friendship of a few years now really so yeah yeah man it's been an absolute joy to have you on to get your insights into this and uh you know definitely bring that the uh aussie flair that this podcast is desperately <laughs> needed <laughs> there's just there's just one last thing i'd mention about the case and that's yeah. um one of the things that really kind of brought it back into the public zeitgeist was got a shout out on that x-files revival like the mm-hmm. uh, the series 10 i think it was yeah so yeah john McHale's character gave it a shout out on there which which seems to have attracted more attention but yeah, no new info, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> sadly, no new info, but it's good mm. that it just kind of remains out there for people to try and find information about and, you know, uh, uh, you know, bootleg copy of the book that uh, we will include <laughs> in the show notes for this episode. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. 
so uh, thank you again rob yeah yeah no thank you uh and as for us at the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps and if you'd like to help us out please leave a rating and review definitely helps get more attention on the podcast and uh it allows us uh you know to to grow like every good podcast should so uh sharing the show with a friend helps as well and if you want to help us monetarily head on over to patreon.com slash your ufo guy where for three dollars a month you get early access to the main episodes like this one as well as bonus episodes exclusive only to patreon I am involved in a few other projects, such as the Order of Podcasters and Rolling Through the Realms. So if you like tabletop role-playing games, go check out those pods. Uh, Special thanks to Amber Keller, who did a lot of the research uh, on this for me and and, and put it together uh, and did the writing uh, for this for like over a year ago now. So um, special thanks to her and to our wonderful patrons that uh, help keep us afloat over here. And speaking of floats, thank you to floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program. A special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our fantastic new logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs, which uh, if you want to buy some merch, check out the link tree in the show notes. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on the roadside paddock in Australia. In gray, we trust. Yeah.